You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. It was seen as a historical alliance, the son of the late Philippine dictator Ferdinand Marcos teaming up with the daughter of the highly popular but controversial president Rodrigo Duterte. Ferdinand Marcos Jr. for president and Saro Duterte Carpio for vice ran an unbeatable campaign, clinching the election with a landslide victory. But just two years later, the political marriage is starting to crumble. It has even degenerated into a war of words, with both Marcos Jr. and Duterte Sr. trading accusations, from calling the other lazy and uncompassionate to publicly floating the idea of a military coup. There were threats to use force to crush any secession attempts. And perhaps most shockingly, the two accused each other of being drug addicts. When I was the mayor of Davao City, the Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency showed me a list. Your name, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., was on it. Well, I think it's the fentanyl. I hope his doctors take better care of him. How did this political feud start? Why now? And what might happen next? Next year, the Philippines will have midterm elections, and by 2028, the Philippines will have presidential elections. And so this fracturing of the uh, Marcos Duterte alliance is very crucial because uh, it may unravel the strength of this uh, political marriage. I'm Rohina Deluna, here to talk about Asia. I sat down with Lucio Blanco Pitlo III, research fellow at the Asia-Pacific Pathways to Progress Foundation, to find out more. So, Lucio, let's start from the beginning. When they announced this political partnership that Marcos and Duterte's daughter would team up, that seemed like an unlikely pairing. So could you perhaps explain what are the political benefits for each side by teaming up? It's actually one of the most powerful uh, political alliances ever formed in uh, Philippine political history. So it's a marriage of one of the most powerful political clans in Luzon, in the northern part of the country, especially in, in far northern Luzon, the Ilocos-speaking uh, region, uh, the bailiwick or stronghold of the Marcos family. And, uh, of course, from the south, Mindanao, the second largest island. And so the Duterte clan from that island, who also, of course, have uh, a lot of support from the Visayas, or the central group of islands. So essentially, it's like being able to win the majority local population in these areas, in northern Luzon, the Visayas, and Mindanao. So it's a very powerful combination of two political dynasties. So each side had one part as their stronghold, and so by combining them, they can basically take on the whole. Agree. So so the formula is uh, for Duterte to be able to make headway in Luzon, to which, of course, she's not as popular, but she is popular in the Visayas in Mindanao, where Marcos Jr. is not as popular. So by combining their uh, political bases, they're able to amass a very strong core. And from that, they were able to get a lot of votes from all of these critical regions. But now it seems like this political alliance is fraying, maybe even some say disintegrating. So what's behind this apparent feud between the two sides? Well, I I would think there are uh, several issues, notable of which is, one, the uh, foreign policy, you know, uh, how to deal with China, 
I think it's uh, one of the falling out between the current President Marcos uh, Jr. and, of course, his predecessor, the father of his uh, Vice President, Rodrigo Duterte. They have different approaches on how to deal with China, the country's big neighbor and largest trade partner. The second is the issue of the drug war that was one of the signature campaigns of the former Duterte administration, which uh, the current Marcos Jr. administration seems unenthusiastic to follow. We have tried to learn from the lessons that were that we saw in the experience of President Duterte in his war on drugs. And I think one of the main uh, lessons is that uh, his uh, emphasis was on uh, enforcement. And in our, in our analysis, it, enforcement only gets you so far. And of course, uh, how to work with the International Criminal Court. Uh, of course, under the former Duterte government, Philippines withdrew from the ICC. And of course, there are concerns right now that Marcos Jr. might be pressured, whether domestically or by uh, you know international forces, to uh, re-enter, rejoin the ICC. And of course, uh, if that happens, then any stumbling block for ICC inquiry over you know the excesses or abuses of the drug war under the previous government, it may pave the way for an investigation. And if the um, proceedings rule that several former Philippine government officials were uh, indeed culpable of uh, committing crimes, you know, prescribed under the ICC, then they might be arrested by ICC, and that the Philippine government would be complied to cooperate. So that is a concern. So the ICC issue, though, is very much a personal issue for Duterte then, because it very much involves him and his previous administration. Yeah, I mean, so it's one of his flagship campaigns. He became very controversial because of that. I will kill you if you do drugs in my city and destroy the youth. I will kill you. But even before, you know, taken back when he was mayor of Davao, you know, his policy towards the drug lords, drug dealers, you know, uh, is already known. And it's actually one reason why he became very popular across the country, because of his approach uh, towards, you know, law and order. Another point, the Marcos Duterte, you know, the fragmentation uh, of this once very strong unity or political alliance was uh, on the matter of constitutional change. Both administrations have uh, proposed you know, to change the constitution. Former President Duterte proposed that the form of government of the country be transformed into a federal form of government. And this is actually one of his platforms when he ran back in uh, 2016. And of course, we all know it did not pan out well. And now the current Marcos Jr. administration also wants to amend the constitution, but would want to focus, at least uh, officially, they would want to zero in on the economic provisions, especially uh, removing restrictions on foreign ownership, foreign capital, so that the country will be able to attract more foreign investment. But the approach by which this is being carried out, namely in the so-called People's Initiative, which is essentially, uh, as critics argue, it's essentially a congressional initiative. And so some analysts look at it as a potential risk because the change in the constitution may go beyond what is stated, which is economic provisions. And they worry that uh, some of those uh, proposing or advancing this cause might actually have selfish motives behind it, which is forced to try to prolong their term in office or maybe change the form of government from presidential to parliamentary. And of course, if that happens, the current speaker of the house, the cousin of the president, Martin Romualdez, uh, might be able to position himself as the prime minister and 
you know, as long as the majority in the lower house, which is uh, about over 300 members, as long as they will be able to sustain that, then he may actually be in power for longer than what is being prescribed under the uh, 1987 Constitution presidential system of the Philippines, which is the president is only entitled for six years, one term. You can only be president once, no chance for re-election. Uh, I have asked uh, the leaders of both houses, and again, uh, some of the best constitutional minds that we have in the Philippines, to uh, come up with a simpler solution that does not cause so much uh, controversy. So to sum it up, the dispute on this issue seems to be on the Marcos uh, side. They're saying that this is to advance the economy, promote investment into the country. But Duterte camp uh, accused Marcos of trying to prolong his term in office. In terms of the timing, why is it now being, because it's always long been rumored that there's some kind of rivalry or feud going on in the background, but now it seems to have been laid bare in public. There's like, uh, it's coming to a head. There's been a war of words. What's driving this? I would say, of course, in terms of the foreign policy, we see that uh, since last year, Marcos administration took a different course. Maybe there was expectation before that there will be a sense of continuity in terms of, you know, how to deal with China, how to handle the issue of the West Philippine Sea or the South China Sea, which is, of course, one of the enduring challenge for the Philippines, both on the security and uh, also on the diplomatic front. The spate of untoward sea incidents, you know, in the South China Sea since last year, uh, starting with lasers, you know, water cannons, run-ins, uh, collisions. The nearest reefs that... Uh PLA have started to show interest in are approaching, the, have, have come closer and closer to the Philippine coastline. And the nearest one is now around 60 nautical miles from the nearest Philippine coast. And this, uh, this is an evolving situation. And so I think people are becoming wary about what more can happen and the risk for the Philippines and its relations with its largest trade partner. And Mindanao is, of course, a very important player for the Philippine economy. It's the home of the largest agricultural plantations. It's home of the largest mines in the country. And one of the primary buyers, one of the major markets of those commodities is China. And so I wouldn't be surprised if some of the leaders in Mindanao express concern about potentially losing out in terms of market access, in terms of maybe lower demand for their goods because of potential fallout of this growing diplomatic crisis over the South China Sea. So Duterte, coming from Davao region, which is, you know, the epicenter of the um, tropical fruit export industry of the country, from pineapples to bananas to durians, of course, the minerals, you know. Uh, so, again, perhaps, you know, some leaders of Mindanao convey to him their worries or concerns about potential economic impact to their sector if this goes out of hand. So you partially explained my next question, actually, is the history behind their individual stance. So Duterte's pro-China stance and Marcos's more pro-U.S. stance. So perhaps you can explain why is Marcos siding with the U.S. more? Well, the Marcos family was exiled in the U.S. in Hawaii when his father, Marcos Sr., was deposed. When Ferdinand Marcos stepped off the plane at Hickam Air Force Base, he was a man without a country, cast adrift in a hostile world desperately searching for an outstretched hand after fleeing a country he once ruled with an iron fist. So he spent years there. Uh, he studied in the U.S. also. So I, I would say that this may have played a lot in terms of 
him developing positive views about the U.S. Uh, we continue to look to the United States uh, for that continuing partnership and the maintenance of peace in our region. We have always considered the United States our partner, our ally, and our friend. And one of his sons is studying in Australia. So in terms of having a more, I would say, positive views of the West, Marcos has it. Duterte, we know, yes, uh, his personal views. Hardliner Rodrigo Duterte has warned Barack Obama not to question him over a surge in drug-related killings since Duterte took office two months ago. I am a president of a sovereign state, and we have long ceased to be a colony. I do not have any master except the Filipino people. He, under his term, never went to any Western capital did not go to the U.S., did not go to Australia, did not go to Europe during his six years as president of the Philippines. And so the country's relations with the U.S. Uh, suffered in a way, especially you know, in terms of uh, military defense engagement. Your Honours, in this venue, I announce my separation from the United States. And so well, this is a contrast in terms of how they look at long-standing alliances and partners of the Philippines from the Western camp. Got it. So this dispute, and it, as it's growing, what does this mean then for the future of politics in the country? And specifically, how will this affect Marco's ambitious economic plans for the country? Yeah, so next year, the Philippines will have midterm elections. And by 2028, the Philippines will have presidential elections. And so... This fracturing of the uh, Marcos Duterte alliance is very crucial because uh, it may unravel the strength of this uh, political marriage. And this may not bode well for the Marcos Jr. administrations. If the uh, current government wants to have a majority in the Senate and in the House, they need to have all the support that you know they can get in order to pass critical, urgent priority bills of the administration. And Mindanao, the Visayas area, is uh, both rich areas uh, of the country. But uh, from the Duterte side, we also saw that uh, his recent calls to separate Mindanao in his reaction to the People's Initiative, the move to change the constitution, he said that there's nothing fundamentally flawed with the current 1987 constitution to warrant charter change. So he, he opposed that and also the approach. And he said that if the uh, government persists, then we would support moves to separate Mindanao from the rest of the country, which, of course, the security sector, many people in government, even leaders from Mindanao and the Visayas did not support. We see some uh, lawmakers, some local officials from Visayas in Mindanao speaking out against the separation of Mindanao. So there might be, you know, fragmentation of Duterte's alliances with other families in Mindanao, which may not bode well if Sara Duterte Carpio would aspire for the highest position in the land by 2028. But it seems like, uh, well, early um, polls suggest that she is ahead of Marcos Jr. What are the chances of her succeeding Marcos Jr.? Well, of course, uh, it's very important that between now and 2028 that she will be able to weather these political challenges and, uh, of course, be seen as an inclusive leader. So this fragmentation of the Marcos Duterte alliance, this fraying of ties between uh, two major political families in the Philippines may not be good for her bid for the highest post 
in the land. So I think this is why she's trying to keep ties with President Marcos and, of course, the sister of the president, Aimee Marcos, which also have differences in views with her brother. And so the more alliances that Sara Duterte can create and keep is better. And this would strengthen her hand. Okay, I want to wrap this up by asking you, given his continuing popularity, what are the chances of Duterte Sr. coming back? Because he has threatened to in the past, or is that just a tough talk? Yeah, so we don't know how serious it is, but he might decide to run as a senator for next year and perhaps, you know, to challenge the policies of the current Marcos Jr. government. But if that happens, you know, that will add more fireworks, it may not bode well for the image of the Philippines, you know, especially, you know, in these challenging times, whether in South China Sea or whether in great power competition. So the more the Philippines looks divided at home, then we will not be able to position ourselves to meet the challenges of the times. You know, recover from the pandemic of two and a half years, trying to uh, revive our economy, trying to get capital from both the West and the East, trying to compete with our neighbors in ASEAN, especially like Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, which is, of course, steaming ahead. So it's very important that we project the sense of unity because, you know, it will send signals to investors, domestic and foreign. Whether Rodrigo Duterte is actually serious about the secession of Mindanao is not yet clear. But a senior Philippine military officer told the Post that any trouble in Mindanao would benefit the Philippines' neighbor in the north, China, because, quote, the Philippine government would in a way be distracted. I'm Rahina Deluna. Thanks for listening.